what I was trying to get across is that nationalism is bad, but it's not completely bad. It's not that it's it basically works on a on a scale, mm-hmm. and it starts with sort of folk dancing and it ends up with barbed wire and trenches. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it there are good elements and there are bad elements. And um, so I talked about the fact that I was born and raised in the Republic, Irish Catholic mother, Kiwi Protestant father, citizenship in both Ireland and New Zealand, but I live in and love the Netherlands. I'm proudly European. Uh, even though as a child we would talk about trips to Germany or France in terms of going to Europe. Depending on what sporting event is happening, my loyalties change. Ryder Cup golf, I'm European. Fuck America. Mm-hmm. International <laughs> rugby, I'm Irish. You know, the mm-hmm. uh, the North and the Republic United. Fuck England. Uh, <laughs> in football, I'm from the Republic. So fuck the North. Mm-hmm. And England. In Gaelic football, there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Kerry. <laughs> so fuck Cork and England. <laughs> and and uh, in club rugby, I'm Irish by birth, but monster by the by the grace of God. So fuck Leinster and England. <laughs> but yeah. I, I got to tell that joke uh, at the ATC, the Associ- yeah. Association of Translation Companies, their conference in London last year. Yeah. Um, and that did was they great. Enjoy it? <laughs> they did. They did. They laughed. Well, the vast majority obviously were English. Yeah. So they they laughed. Uh, and on behalf of everyone here, fuck you too, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. Oh fuck! Why you might hold it? Dat was beschamend. From Ludeo Studios. That could have gone better. A podcast which looks to embrace embarrassment. Met ihrem Gastgeber Andrew Hickson. With your host Andrew Hickson. say who you are and why you're on this podcast okay uh, i'm carol hickson andrew's younger sister and i'm on this podcast because he asked me to and i was drinking wine when he asked and i said yes and like all good life choices <laughs> alcohol was involved um, and i don't know why i'm on this podcast apart from that <laughs> when i came here to the netherlands i now, I got a job at an Australian bar first, at the Billabong. And my first day or night working there was St. Patrick's Day. So I turned up. I'd had a couple of beers. Now, I wasn't drunk, but I'd had a few beers, which obviously isn't a good idea before your first night working somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I turned up. I had really, really long hair. I had the Irish flag painted on both my cheeks. And mm-hmm. so I was hired to be the uh, glass collector, glassy. I was walking around, and every four or five feet somebody would stop me and ask why I had the French flag painted on my face because <laughs> in the light in the light in a nightclub it, you, yeah. you know, nobody could tell so I t- 
took great enjoyment in stopping and explaining to them, no, no, I'm Irish and it's St. Patrick's Day and St. Patrick is blah, 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 blah. If if it wasn't for Jeff, uh, the Australian owner of the Billabong, I would have been fired the first day because I was useless. <laughs> um, but after working at the Billabong, I got a job at an Irish bar. And mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I became became incredibly nationalistic uh, I mean we're not we weren't raised no like that we weren't raised with rebel songs in the the house or we weren't raised <laughs> it was never a thing mom was very proudly Irish and she would say you know scratch an Irishman you'll find a rebel underneath but she would always she was proud of it from a a polite know, distance yeah, yeah well I guess yeah. yeah she didn't like she didn't force it down her throats or anything no God, no. Yeah. But then when I came here and, I mean, working in an Irish pub where the majority of the the, the customers are from England or Scotland or wherever, Mm. and everyone was identified by their nationality first, and it would get incredibly sort of stupidly passionate. Um, (laughs) And you'd get get drunk and then some Dutch kid would walk up and go, oh, you're English. And the, the natural, the normal reaction to that is go to, is to go. No, I'm I'm actually Irish, but you know I've been called a lot, a lot worse or whatever. Yeah. But the reaction in the pub, well, fuck you, I'm not English. The fuck would you say that? Oh well, you kind of got a bit intense about it. Yeah, it did. It it, it yeah. really did. You know, I didn't have that experience because I'm not crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I lived in Essex in England for my first year of teaching. Yeah, they, I was I was one of the Irish teachers. There was a couple of us in the school. We were we were different from everybody else, but it wasn't a it wasn't a big deal. It, it bonded the Irish teachers. We kind of sought each other out and we're like, oh, home, you know. And yeah. it was nice, and we became good, better friends with the other Irish teachers, you know, to begin with, until we got to know everyone else. I I, I didn't realise, but at the time, uh, some of the students were trying to bully me, and they I think was it Keith Lemon or somebody had a sketch, and in it he he goes potatoes for the Irish, and these lads were doing it going up and down the corridor near me, and I just kind of was like, huh, why are they shouting? That's very strange. <laughs> and I didn't I didn't realise that it was targeted at me. So I was blissfully unaware that I was being bullied. <laughs> and I was just like, hi guys. <laughs> um, Ignorance uh, you is know, fantastic. It is. It was wonderful. So the people that I interviewed uh, for this episode, they're mm. all people born in one country but living um, and have settled uh, away from that country. Uh, so you have Jesper Sandberg, uh, a Danish man living in England. Yeah. You have Mackenzie Martin, an American an American woman living in France. Yeah. And then you have Son- Sandra Oliveira, a Mexican woman living in Ireland. I was born and raised in a small town called Solbjerg, S-O-L-B-J-E-R-G which is Sun Hill in Danish or Sun Mountain in Danish and it's uh, it's about 10 miles south of Aarhus the second biggest town in Denmark I would not have been able to pronounce that the name of that town if I'd read it <laughs> no me neither uh, even amazing. after he spelled it I, I, I still yeah. had to 
How did he say? <laughs> You're lying. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> That's actually, do you know, people find that with Ireland as well. And I do enjoy <laughs> writing down Irish names like Aoife and asking people to try and pronounce it in other countries. So I'm Mackenzie Martin. I'm from Salem, Oregon in the United States. And I work for Fiziki which is a company, a French company that's based in Colmar, France and runs a fitness app called Fizza. Okay, very good. My name is Sandra and I am Mexican, but I live in Dublin, Ireland. I was born in Mexico City, but when I was a child, because of my really, really bad health, I'm, a, I'm allergic to pollution, to the smog. And we moved to a nearby state called Puebla, so my family now is there. Jasper is the owner of a translation company in the UK called Sandberg Translation Partners. Mm -hmm. He's been the chairman of uh, the ATC, the Association of Translation Companies, and he's also mm -hmm. he was also the chairman of Gala. He was chairman of Gala last year in Amsterdam when we did the Trim Tinter Tattoo mm -hmm. and I persuaded Jasper to dye his hair for us. What colour? Um, it ended up it was he was hoping it was going to be a kind of a foxy gray kind of George Clooney that mm. salt and pepper gray <laughs> it turned out to be closer to orange <laughs> <laughs> he was not impressed oh. but it was for a good cause and it was all cool um, but no Jasper's he's lovely he's he's possibly um, reserved or conservative mm -hmm. I suppose um, but once you get beyond that, and it doesn't take much to get beyond that, just say hello to him. Mm -hmm. um, he's a very funny guy. He's a he's a lovely guy. I still would be somewhat in awe of him within the industry. Um, mm. He's just he's one of maybe a handful of people that no matter where they go, they are kind of looked up to as sort of the authority in the industry kind of thing. I, I actually struggled to remember anything, you know, <laughs> worth telling. Um... <laughs> nice. Just, I love it. You're like, I'm in awe of this man. And he goes, I struggle to remember things. <laughs> now Sandra works for Nimzy. Okay, last on the last episode, you got to listen to Laura mm -hmm. um, and her wonderful Cork Irish Spanish yes. accent. Lovely. Tell me where Sandra is from. Mind you, man, I mean, once I went to the States, yeah, yeah can we have a Guinness? Oh, just seeing the map pouring the Guinness. Oh, it was painful to watch. I was like, can I show you how to do it? Because you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> and it's about Guinness, too. <laughs> <laughs> and she, I mean, just the enthusiasm with which she's talking about the incorrect pour of a Guinness, like <laughs> that is Irish through and through. Yeah, yeah, she's been in Dublin for for a number yeah. of years. Uh, Tex-Mex food so I was like okay Tex-Mex is not nobody was saying this is authentic Mexican food so whenever somebody says authentic Mexican food and they serve you those stupid hard shell tacos I puke <laughs> that's an extreme reaction to hard shell tacos apparently <laughs> that's such a sin that's the worst thing you can do I'm, I'm guessing it would be like carbonating Guinness I, I'm not too sure <laughs> In the discussion with Sandra, I asked her, so what's the national stereotype that you hate the most? And she came straight back to food and back to this hard taco thing. Fair enough. Yeah. We, we have our alcoholism. They have their tacos.
Isn't it frightening how quickly and how fervently you became super Irish? Yeah, it's terrifying. When presented with, are you English? That's that is frightening. I mean, it does explain a lot about the the far right. Yeah, like you had a girlfriend, you had no reason to be that angry. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know. Was it immaturity? Was it? I don't know. I I just got. Maybe you were feeling a little lost in your own identity at the time. Yeah. So you clung on to this Quite possibly. very Irish identity just to have something have something solid to hold on to. Yeah. While figuring out who you were. What I'm supposed to be doing here is before I was studying. Although yeah. I suppose between that, between going to university and getting a girlfriend, as you pointed out. The, <laughs> oh, were, you didn't have one at that time? I, not initially. No, I worked there at O'Shea's go. for a couple of years before. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think maybe was. between the two, they both mellowed me out. The university gave me a lot more of a, uh, a perspective on the world and on life. And it was an international study. So I studied with people from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And having a girlfriend just made me realize I was being an idiot. <laughs> yeah. So I went there to go, what are you doing? Yeah. The fuck is wrong with you? Stop it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I asked Jasper and Mackenzie and Sandra if they experienced this kind of a rush of nationalism when they left home and went to uh, sort of... New Can I hazard a guess? Yeah. Hold it here for a second through the first half of the 90s you know I still followed the football and politics and elections and whatever but then when I started having kids and started focusing on building my business there just wasn't the interest for me to stay connected that's a a no from Jasper yeah that's a well adjusted man yeah it was a fairly hard no he also talked I asked him about Danish nationalism and how do people feel proud to be Danish or how do Danes see themselves I would imagine it wasn't as strong as in the case of the Irish. Um, this is just very, you know, based on very broad empirical knowledge of or, or national stereotypes. Yeah. Um, I think most Danes are proud of being Danes. Uh, most Danes like their country. Um, but we're not, you know, I don't think we're like uh, missionaries or evangelists when we go abroad. It's not like we force it down people's throat or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. I. It makes sense in a way that they're, they're you know, they're proud of it, but it's not. He's right. There is a difference to the Irish uh, image of ourselves, yeah. the Irish identity. And I, I, what, what came to mind when he was talking was Irish pubs all around the world and English pubs all around the world and that idea like why do we have to have you know irish themed pubs everywhere well, and just I've been telling everyone is that we're taking over the world <laughs> yeah um, but it's infesting rather than invading <laughs> um, so then i asked uh, Mackenzie about nationalism and about whether or not when she came here she felt uber american um I I've never really felt particularly national nationalistic. I was told that is don't don't uh, flaunt that. I mean, my first time living in France in 2010, my mom was like, don't don't wear bright colors, don't wear an American flag, don't say you're American. Like even the girls I was like hanging around with, they were also American. They're like, don't you know, don't say you're American to anybody. Like, just don't try to speak English to anyone. Just yeah, and. Um, 
Yeah, I hated I hated hiding it. I didn't like hiding it, but I, I did understand at the same time. But I also didn't feel as for whatever reason I didn't feel as threatened as I probably should have, being like you know a white blonde haired woman. Okay, that's interesting. She didn't feel particularly more nationalist, but also was told, shut it down. Do not be open about being American. I mean, I know after after 9-11, there was the, the standard line from the State Department in the US was that Americans abroad, anywhere, wherever they were traveling, they shouldn't advertise the fact that they're American. In fact, initially after 9-11, uh, the unof... I don't know, I've said officially after, it might have been unofficially after 9-11, the uh, Americans were told to put Canadian flags and Canadian badges on their bags rather than American ones so that if anyone did hear them, they'd see the Canadian flag and go, you're not the one we're looking for. Oh my God. Yeah, that's interesting. Actually, I made a friend with an American when I was living in Paris. I met him on a night out and... Uh, very very funny guy from Washington but he worked for the NSA so I was convinced he was a spy <laughs> I was just <laughs> like you're a spy you are you have to be um, he was like no no I'm not just I think he yeah he was a translator as well he spoke like he spoke Arabic and French and English and so about three or four definitely other. a spy that's what I thought I was like come on everything you're telling me you're a spy he's I probably listening to this either. now <laughs> yeah exactly he's been listening to everything you've said for the last four years god he must be so bored about what Mexico has to offer uh, seriously you will not find you I can tell you you will not find more beautiful beaches in the world but the Mexican ones you know, and I, I can go to the Maldives and I look at them like, no, Cancun is better. <laughs> you know, like, like no. Um, so I think that when you leave Mexico, you really, or your home country, you start to compare the idea that you have of your country from, a, from you know, the, the how the others so are. Yeah, the beaches, I can imagine the beaches are amazing. But I do that. I compare Ireland and the mountains to everywhere else I travel to. Job if you want to, right? It's going out there and taking, I mean, Irish and Mexicans are the most stereotyped cultures worldwide. I mean, you can tell, okay, what do you think about Mexicans? And they'll tell you, oh, yeah, they're muertos, they could Mayo burritos and sombreros and all this stuff. And I'm there to tell you, yeah, this is yes, this is no, this is Tex-Mex, this is what the hell is that? Um, you know, so for me, it's that, that training, let's say, of people, where I think that if you were some Mexicans, perhaps when you do it in Mexico, they might find it offensive, like, ah, what the hell are you talking about? Take it about you, what the hell is that? So I'm more aware of stereotypes, you know, that other has of us and us have of them. For example, I came here and I was like, I'm sure Irish are not that big of a drinker, like they say. Mistake. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the stereotypes thing is kind of intense. For the for the Mexicans, yeah, sombreros, all of the things she said, I was like, yeah, I'm aware of all of those things. <laughs> and yeah. I don't know if they're vaguely correct. But, yeah, it, do you think that ha- that has an impact on it, the fact that Irish, the Irish are so stereotyped and they were so put into a box of this is what we think of you, that on the one hand, the good stuff we try to live up to and then the bad stuff we're like... 
Um, no, no, that's not all we are. You know, we get annoyed about it. Yeah, I think definitely. I think we where it comes from, but we love to be acknowledged as being nice. Yes. Getting praise from somewhere else for something we do, that's the pinnacle of what can happen. I mean... The European, the soccer thing with, in yeah, Paris. Yeah, fans, exactly. The fans getting the, fans the award and, from uh, the city of Paris or something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people say that the Irish are they're very friendly and we're really nice and very welcoming. And um, I think we do try to live up to that. Um, mm-hmm. gen- I, think, I think more often than not, it is very genuine and it is... Uh, people are really nice and open mm-hmm. but there are I think people who maybe try to cash in on that idea and on that thing and, and if it's not if it's not from the heart if it's not real you can tell you know that it's it's fake mm. um, so we can tell we can tell yeah that's true and you know and if other people can the other thing is how upset we get when specifically British newspapers, but anywhere when they talk about English actress Saoirse Ronan or yes. British actress uh, XYZ or the British athletes went blah blah blah, and it's like oh god, they're I you can't believe, and then the mm-hmm. rage that comes out. Yes, and it's it these are, they're just little hot topic buttons that. That really and as well, we, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but like, I, I wouldn't feel, consider myself to be a super nationalist, Republican type person. But when I hear stuff like that, I'm like, you took the North. Stop <laughs> trying to take stuff from us. And I, it's weird. It's like it comes from somewhere very, very, very deep down inside. <laughs> yeah. So th- then we're kind of looking at nature versus nurture. Uh, <laughs> how much of this is built into us that we're born, this chip on our shoulder, and then how much <laughs> of it is, is kind of beaten into us at school. There's a reason that there are stereotypes. Um, yeah. Some of them can be incredibly negative and incredibly painful. Mm. Um, incredibly derogatory. So I guess that back to the to your question is, do I feel most proud of being Mexican? Yes and, and no. I mean, I feel that as a Mexican and as a... I, I know that I represent my country, whatever I do. If I do something bad, it will be, oh, those Mexicans. If I do something good, it's like, ooh, those Mexicans. So you do feel that sense of a little bit more of responsibility and uh, and you do learn a lot more about your own culture, which is really, really good. Mm. Yeah, that was interesting about the representing Mexico, you know, that good or bad. She has, she feels she represents the country when she's trapped. Yeah, that makes sense. I agree with that. I think I would feel the exact same. Yeah. Um, There is definitely a negative, very, very negative image of Irish people in some parts of the world. And um, there are people that are perpetuating that. We were playing football outside O'Shea's one day yeah. and just uh, just on the street in front of the bar, just kicking the ball up and down. We were about to go for an actual game of football and we were waiting for people to arrive. Mm-hmm. And so we're running around just on the street, which is a normal sort of shopping street. There's shops around and it's a it's a pedestrian street. Mm-hmm. But there are apartments uh, above the shops and yeah. this woman came out of her apartment, threw a bucket of water down <gasps> on top of the lads and, and screamed, Dirty, dirty Irish! <laughs> Because we were annoying her, apparently, running up and down the street. <laughs> oh, my gosh. 
I couldn't disagree with it. We pissed ourselves laughing, but I couldn't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you can see how somebody get annoyed by you shouting and running around. Yeah. Uh, acting like children, but yeah, that's funny. Dirty, dirty Irish. <laughs> I know, you know, they say the problem with Mexico is the Mexicans, and it's true. You know, it's we have everything we need, everything. It's a paradise over there, seriously. Um, but then you have people who think that laws are just being meant to be written in a book just because, you know, they needed to write something in the book. And now a word from our that could have gone better is not brought to you by Blue Apron. So we are dedicating our ad space to Translators Without Borders. This podcast supports Translators Without Borders, a nonprofit connecting translators with humanitarian organizations across the globe. As we've touched on briefly in this episode, language shapes our identity and fuels our sense of nationalism. But it also allows us to access information critical to our lives. Imagine if you were unable to understand information to care for your sick child or fight for your rights. Millions around the world are facing these issues and the translators at TWB are working to help. Donate or organize your own fundraiser at translatorswithoutborders.org forward slash support hyphen us. Translators Without Borders, a better way to cook. I mean, communicate. It's it, it's going to be awful because we're just reading it. <laughs> but that's what they all are. All of those Blue Apron ads are awful. Estamos de vuelta. Welcome back. Home for me will always be Kerry. Mum would... Murder you. Excommunicate me is what I was going to say. But yeah, murder me. <laughs> Whenever I'm back home and I talk about coming back to Nijmegen, I have to talk about coming back to Nijmegen. If I can't say I'm going back home, even though this is home to me, uh, <laughs> because she just won't have it. Um, so yeah, home for me is always going to be Kerry. It's always going to be. So, so no, I, I asked everybody then, uh, where do they consider home? So, yeah. Whether they're living in England or whatever, but what is home? Well, you see, that's probably, uh, just as an interjection, that's probably a factor for me as well. Um, you know, you just said your mother. Yeah. Well, my home is England. My home became England within a matter of, um, well, let's call it a year. You know, uh, as soon as I committed to a relationship here, uh, you start thinking about your future. So it certainly wasn't on the cards to move back to Denmark anytime soon after I embarked on that relationship um, because she didn't speak Danish. Um, and my father was alive. Uh, my mother died many years ago, but then my father died two years later. Right, wow. So there was then far less uh, obvious connection to Denmark that could have helped to keep a, a more alive, uh, you know, keep me up to date and interested. Do you have brothers or sisters? Nope, I'm an only child. Oh, wow. And so when my father passed away, I was third, I was 86, I was 32. Um, and so... That really meant that, I mean, in fairness, I do have a large extended family from my mother's side. Uh, I mean, counting 50 plus when I count all the aunties, uncles and cousins and now one or two generations of offspring. And, and I am yeah. close to them and I see them whenever I can. Um, but, but that at least hasn't been enough for me to stay 
properly and continually connected to Denmark. And I guess, I guess, uh, the fact that I have no parents and no siblings in Denmark is part is is a reason mm-hmm. there. So yeah, his family is really important to home. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. Home to me is how do I explain it? Home, I mean, Salem still kind of feels like home in the sense that it feels familiar. Um, I feel, I feel maybe safest there because that's where my family is. You know, it's nice to, to go home and sleep in my own bed that I, you know, in my own bedroom that I grew up in, blah, blah, blah. Um, but at the same time, kind of going back to the States kind of feels like going to Europe used to feel like there's this kind of reverse culture shock that that occurs every time I go home. Like I get home and I'm like, holy shit, everything's in English now. And like my interactions with people are different. Like I approach someone at the airport and I don't think they're going to be like a total asshole to me because that's kind of what I'm used to, you know, living in France. Um, (laughs) But it's true. Um, But at the same time, at the end of my two or three weeks that I spend at home, I'm ready to go back to Europe. So there's kind of that the whole weird. That is interesting. So she's saying that the French are assholes. (laughs) Yes. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> just checking. Do you agree? Well, no, not all of them. Um, but they definitely have it. They're a little colder initially. But some of them are lovely. Like I had a, you know, I don't speak French and I lived there for a year. And my local baker, very, very nice, kind of quiet man. And after a few months, he started to learn English. <laughs> Like, not from me, but for me. For you. Yeah. I came in one evening and he was all excited and he came out and uh, I was, you know, ordering my usual. And then he was like, good morning. (laughs) I was like, oh, my God. Hello. Good morning. And then I was like, this is terrible. This old man is learning another language for me and I can't do it for this entire country. (laughs) Okay. But yeah, so no, some of them are, are wonderful and very sweet and kind, but they do, it does take a little bit to, it, it, it's not a straightaway thing. Yeah. Like you'd have with the Irish or the Americans. It, it, it does take a little bit of time <laughs> to just, you know, to get underneath their skin and make them smile. Yeah, it's hard on them. I mean, they've, I think they've come to, to come to terms with it. They're used to it now. Um, but I can tell you that every year when I go home, after Christmas, it's always, you know, a, a crying fest at the airport. You know, it's like my mom starts crying, then I start crying, then my dad starts crying, then we're all crying. And, you know, it's, it's always like that because you leave and you don't know. I mean, worse comes to worse. It's, I, you know, knock on wood, but you, you essentially could be seeing that person for the last time. You never know. And it's, that's, that's hard. You know, it, it hits you more than, you know, just seeing them every day because that could also happen. But, you see, I see my parents once a year, you know, and God forbid there, there'd be, my dad gets into a car accident while he's out working or whatever, you know, and that could be the last time that I see him, you know, is when I get on that plane after Christmas every year. Gosh, that's very emotional, isn't it? Yeah. And you've had that for years. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. uh, You can kind of feel it for a day or two or even more before you leave. There's a buildup of tension. Yeah. Um, uh, I know definitely with mom where she gets very emotional now it, it has gotten better for the first few years it was there was a, there was like a breakdown uh, in the days in the day, the day or two before I left yeah um, 
I suppose the fact that she knows She's... that I'm doing okay here now and mm-hmm. that I'm comfortable here and I'm happy here that all has helped and then the fact that I get to come back a couple of times a year I mean Mackenzie gets back once a year once. Yeah. yeah yeah it was once yeah that's tough no mom would kill you if you only came home once a year yeah yeah That that's not acceptable and it's fine for us because it's Europe we're close by way more convenient you don't have the jet lag problem when you travel here even when I arrive, you know, I'm going to tell you a very silly story. <laughs> um, when I was a child, I watched the Looney Tunes and I remember the episode was about of a little turtle that was living in a little tiny pond and she saw the biggest pond at the cross of the road and there was a lot of cars and she was trying to cross the road and at the end she just she just couldn't make it and she was so happy back after risking her life and nearly being killed she goes to her little pond and she goes even though it's very humble there is no place like home and that song I've always played in my head ever since you know we would go with my grandmother and then come back to my house and I'm not even and I would play it in my head every time and the, the I remember the day when that song didn't play in my head when I arrived home to Mexico. I was like, shit, this is it's not coming in, you know. And then when I came back to Ireland, it just happened, you know. It's just like, even though it's very humble, there is no place like home. And I was, I, I knew it, you know. I was like, yeah, my heart doesn't feel. And I go home and I feel like I'm comfortable and I feel like, okay, this is my bed and this is my mom, and this is my stuff. But I do feel that I'm a tourist. She's, yeah, feeling like a tourist when you go back to your own country is different. It is, but I mean, I do that as well. Like, I go with mom, we'll go travel, we'll go see, like, last time. True, you've seen more. You do. I've I've seen a lot more of the country since I've left. And I, it's not just that I've seen more of the country, I want to see more of the country. Yeah. Now, whenever I go back, I want to go and see somewhere else and somewhere new, or uh, I think you are far more aware of of how different it is and how beautiful it is or whatever when you're not exposed to it all the time it's funny i you know lived away for two years and everything and and like that little song in her head when she came back every time i came back i felt like oh yeah i'm home now i i i don't think i i i had that feeling for france or definitely not for england but i started to have a little bit for france but not not fully you know, I didn't. I didn't want to be French yeah. in the end, and that was a big decision for me. It was, do I want to stay here and integrate into this country? And I was like, no, I don't. So I was like, back to the mountains. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, it's funny because I think that across Mexico, you always are going to hear stories of um, people who have families in the states, and uh, not very legal. <laughs> perhaps before <laughs> so I think that people are used to see okay goodbye and see you never again you know like I'm never gonna see you again so every time I go home my grandfather says goodbye forever to me and I'm like I don't know if you're thinking you're gonna die or you think because I'm not gonna come back or so it makes me feel awkward every time he does that um, but I think that it's hard for them sometimes to understand oh she's back they're really happy to see me back, but when they when I go, it's like, okay, see you never, you know. So it's because it's already ingrained in their head that yeah, you're leaving. I'm like, no, no, no. It's just 
it's, it's, I have to come here for three weeks, my holidays. You know? It's not it's not that I'm never coming back. It's just going to take a little bit longer. So, um, no, I, I, I think obviously your mother, grandparents would like you to live and to grow up right next to them. But um, I never felt that my family would hold me back. Okay, like they were like, okay, like after my father can pass his concert, he was um, he was always so concerned, like, oh, you, my, my little daughter, you're over there, and you know nobody to take care of you. And after I got married, he would still send me money, and I was like, Daddy, stop it! Like I have a job. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm very, I'm grand, like stop. Oh, but I don't know. So, yeah, I think it's that you know, like um, that mentality of I had to take care, and but you're just so far away. But now they know I'm grand, like so. <laughs> Why would she stop him from sending her money? <laughs> that sounds wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> funny. Wait, story. She did just tell the story about her saying goodbye to her grandfather. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Every time. Yeah, it's amazing what societal norms can ingrain into us. I think there's a touch of that in the Irish, but, you know, the getting on the plane. There is, but that's the thing. It's the idea that, I mean, if 40, 50 years ago, if you got on a plane, went to Australia or even the US, that there was a good chance that was it. Yeah. And that's kind of what her grandfather sees now with the people who go to, to America illegally. They, they can't that's, come back. No, that's and so it. If they're you've done. emigrated, then that's it. You're gone. Now, it's not for the same reason, but it is just as devastating. That that's it. Yeah. But I have been known to smash a telephone to smithereens, you know, to hundreds of pieces of plastic when a client uh, just pressed all the right buttons. Um, and then you look around and, and scream fuck at the top of my voice in the office. And then um, so and then you look around a bit sheepishly afterwards and you have to apologize to people for, for losing your rag like that. So he just Naomi Campbell on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fuck! What the fuck is wrong with you people? Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. Now apparently he's kind of mellowed. mellowed. Yeah, he's mellowed mm-hmm. as he's gotten older, and he doesn't do that anywhere near as often. <laughs> as often. <laughs> but apparently not he doesn't do it. Just not as often. Just, I think only with his kids now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kids can elicit quite uh, reactions, you know, that are strong. Yeah. No. But my most embarrassing moment, I'll tell you. Uh, I was probably, let me think, 14. I'll say 14. And uh, hang on a minute. Could I have been? I'm trying to think whether it was before or after my parents divorced, which they did when I was 13. Uh, let's say in my very early teens, I might have been 13, I might even have been 12, 12, 13, 14. Um, I was a, a scout, you know, Boy Scouts is very common uh, social group. And, oh no, it wasn't even the Scouts, was it? Was it not the youth club? Anyway, I was on a weekend outing with a, let's call it a youth club. 
Um, and we were in the woods uh, in a fairly large wooded area around some lakes in central in the central part of Denmark. And, you know, it was a group of maybe 50, 60 people, uh, boys and girls, and all our leaders, our group leaders. And we'd arrived on the Friday. We we're going to stay till Sunday. Um, some of the guys, some people got bored mid-evening on the Friday. Um, now, I was not a leader. I wasn't shy. I wasn't an outright follower, but I was not a confident leader in any sense. Um, and there were a few people a little bit older than me, and there were people that were known troublemakers. Anyway, we ended up walking out into the woods a bit. Um, no, no intentions, nothing deliberate, nothing premeditated. And out there, we um, still within sight of the lights from the, 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 the whole camp buildings um, there were some power lines uh, high tension power lines above us and we started throwing wooden sticks at them just you know mindlessly yeah, yeah. Right. then someone found a metal bar and we bent the end of it and uh, I don't know that anyone verbalized it but um, I guess the intention was to try and hook the bar over the top line. You know, there were four four parallel lines. Uh, just so happened that it was me at the whatever umpteenth attempt of trying of chucking this metal bar up at the the overhead power cables, and it hung across the top one, right down the others, and everything went black. As far as we could see, there was actually a sizable town uh, nearby, and everything went black. <laughs> Oh, my God. Uh, you know, we were shitting ourselves, of course, ran back. And then, of course, all the leaders jump into action. What the hell happened? Not that they would suspect us to have caused or anybody in their group to have caused it. And then I can't remember the details, except at one point we were lined up outside the building and uh, they had either found out someone had snitched or whatever, or they had suspected. And they said, you know, one of you did this. Please step forward. And in the beginning, nobody did. And then, of course, the typical threat comes out. Well, if nobody takes responsibility, then you will all be punished. So I stepped forward. And uh, my father was called to come and collect me. And he did. And I literally, cartoon style is how I would describe my recollection. I literally got dragged by the ear, cartoon style, to my dad's car. And we came home and I was given two weeks um, room detention. <laughs> and I was not, I was not actually, I was not a troublemaker. I wasn't going off the rails as a, as a youngster, as a teenager. No, this is very much an outlier. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's... <laughs> it's funny when you ask for embarrassing stories and and he has to go all the way back to being 14 or 13 or 12 oh, that's very funny though just doing something stupid as a kid because <laughs> oh, I could I could imagine them doing it so easily just like oh this seems like a good idea and they, there's no fully formed what's the consequences that's not real there that's funny <laughs> It's it's amazing that he still recalls it though. It had that much of an impact on him. Yeah, it obviously had a massive yes. impact on him. That embarrassing moment. Oh yeah. shit! What did I do? Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so yes, okay, that was Jasper. that luckily my brain just deletes a lot of them. <laughs> and uh, I, I really I think that 
this is one of those things that you really need to, you know, log them somewhere in my diary. I'm going to log them in my diary somehow. But I think that, um, yes, of course, uh, one of the first things that I can I can remember, I was oh, still go why I didn't. Um, it was a big customer and he was traveling from Israel to see us. Um, well, not to see us only, but he was doing around and he was going to be dri- uh, basically visiting partners. Um, so I called my manager, my manager's manager, which was like the manager for the managers, uh, an expert in uh, one of the issues that the customer was having, a guy from the technical team, of course, myself, uh, my account coordinators who, who was helping me with the overall account. And... Uh, I have spent so much time and so much focus on studying the account. Uh, how are we going to tell him that we're going to resolve ABC and what are going to be the next steps and, you know, how are we going to do this? I forgot to send to, to confirm, hey, are you coming? <laughs> and uh, so here we are in the room. Everybody is ready. Meeting room is ready. Everything is like, okay, have food outside and whatnot. And the manager asks, where is he? And I was like, fuck. I didn't confirm with him. And I think like, the, I think the most embarrassing part about that was the fact that it's so simple. It was such a simple thing to do. Just ask him, are you coming? Remember, here's the address, right? Uh, and it turned out that actually... In his diary, like I had my diary. No, no, no. He's in the diary. He knows I gave him the address and everything. But he thought it was the next day. So he had confused us with another partner. And hence, he didn't arrive that day. And then the next day after, um, the manager was going to be traveling. The other guy was going to be working from home or whatever. And I was just like, I was both I, I don't know if angry or embarrassed but myself, you know, just like such a simple thing. And what did I do ever since? Ever since then, what I do is half an hour before the call, before especially a call, I would send the customer or my potential client or whatever, this is the link to our meeting. So if that customer forgets that he has a, a call with me, that's a reminder. I don't trust people having things on their agendas. I just go, hey, by the way, we have a call. I just say hi, you know? So that's my learning from that day. And- <laughs> Oh no, that's such a simple mistake. Just forgetting to 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 confirm. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's the sort of simple thing that I would do. You know, you'd have put hours and hours of work into something in preparation, and then you just forget that one last simple thing of, did you tell them it was happening? <laughs> After I think, arranging to have everybody there. <laughs> yeah, I think I did something like that with a with a school play with. Um, the, my my boss said to get the uh, get photographers in from the newspapers, and I kind of went, "Yeah, it's a great idea. You should do that." And we both left thinking the other person was doing it. And I think then I got all the kids ready. I got everything. I told all these people to be in in costumes and ready to go. And about half an hour beforehand, I was like, so where are they? And he was like, what do you mean, where are they? And I was like, well, you were supposed to call them. And he was like, no, you were. And we had this one of those silly back and forth of, okay, well, someone has to do it. So he he did it in the end. But yeah, it was... I've got to say, she sent me a message about half an hour before our appointment to make sure that I had remembered that we had an appointment. (laughs) It's a good idea. It is, yeah. Not a bad one. Yeah, 
Okay, so professionally, I thought of one that is is super embarrassing, but it's you know what happens when you try to be grammatically correct. Um, when I was an assistant in the first, well, basically the first month or two, all I was doing was going to my classes and introducing myself and talking about myself and presenting my life as it was in the, U- the U.S. And so I got, would get up there and I'd talk about my family and my job that I had and I would talk about my cats. And I had a male cat and a female cat. Basically, in French, you have um, there's agreements. So you have, for example, if you have a, a male cat, that's a chat. And technically, grammatically speaking, if you have a female cat, that's a chat. And I had a female cat, and I was talking about my female cat, who was 14 years old, to a classroom full of 13 year olds. And I used the word chat when I should not have used the word shots because basically at the end of the year, this was at the beginning of the year, but that teacher whose class I was in told me at the end of the year at my goodbye dinner, the mistake I made, which was the fact that in French, even if you have a female cat, you should still call it a shah because the female form of shots is also used to mean pussy. So, as you can imagine, uh, I was basically talking about my 14-year-old mm-hmm, in front of 13-year-old, a classroom of 13-year-old kids. Uh, so that, I'm, I thank God that he didn't tell me this right after it happened. Uh, to say- <laughs> no, that's, yeah, that would be embarrassing. I wonder how the kids reacted. That they didn't say anything to her about that. Apparently not, yeah. That was good of them. <laughs> yeah, I thought that probably... one would, uh, would get you. Oh gosh, the thought of it, getting the uh, making mistakes in another language and not realizing it, and just plowing on. Yeah, <laughs> that's a fear. Um, I remember another time I was trying to explain to kids why why we say to fall in love, uh, the expression to fall in love in English, and I said, well, think of love as kind of like a hole. And people are falling into this love hole. And I said, coup d'amour in, English, in French. And the whole class just exploded with laughter. Um, so, <laughs> but I, that's the only way I could explain it. And it didn't, I didn't plan that at all. I mean, that's just the way it came out. And then when I was saying it, it made total sense. And then I'd realized what I'd said after I'd said it. Um, so there you have that as well. Oh. <laughs> I fell into a love hole with him. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> what a terrible image for those poor French kids. <laughs> it is a funny phrase to fall in love, but yeah, that's a terrible explanation. <laughs> oh. She could have talked about like trust or something, anything. <laughs> it's a hole. So basically, guys, you fall into this hole with another person, <laughs> or is it their love hole? <laughs> you fall into the same love hole. <laughs> oh. Trying to explain a common phrase is awkward. Trying to explain love to the French. <laughs>
Oh fuck. Te voy a llamar. En el próximo capítulo. Oh fuck. In der nächsten Folge. In der folgenden Aufleitung. On the next episode. Live from Russia, except without Carol. <laughs> yeah. Live from Russia. <laughs> so I presume you're deleting all of your social media. Well, that's the thing. Uh, I, before you go. I, I don't know. I What's the worst? Do a Stephen Colbert and shower in your boxers for the first two or three days until you <laughs> until you come to terms with the fact and just go, okay, fine. Here it is. Stand in front of the mirror doing jazz on. <laughs> I think as long as you don't run for president anywhere, you'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, just don't become important. <laughs> that would be the, my main message to you. Don't be valuable to anybody. <laughs>